our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Night fans, so sorry you missed the live show, but this replay is brought to you by Gordon and Partners. Gordon and Partners are dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who've been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice directly from somebody you trust, which in our case is Michael Hoffman, a UCF alum. Contact Michael directly at 407-913-5350 or visit the website fortheinjured.com. Don't just trust anybody. Trust a fellow knight. Trust Gordon and Partners for the injured. Hello, Night Nation. Trace Trelko here, and this is the Sons of UCF Live. Adam is here and filling in for UCF Mike. Leo Rodriguez. Hey, Leo, haven't I seen you at uh, spring practice, uh, football media availabilities, uh, exclusive I, interview with Shaquem Griffin? Yeah, I, you look familiar. I saw a video <laughs> earlier with Shaquem Griffin and some guy. It looks a lot like you. Right. Hey, I'm glad I'm recognized now. It's, it's, <laughs> nice, to, it's nice to get that recognition. <laughs> it's a son's takeover. You're going to need to do something with the hair, though, to match UCF Mike. I don't no, know. You're I, fine. You're I don't fine. know if I can compete with Mike's hair. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, can yeah. With, nobody. Can On the bright side, he can't grow a beard, so you've got him there, Leo. This is true. Rapid fire from you guys on uh, some of the big headlines in the last, say, 24 hours or so. Terry Mahad, your athletics director, out with his Mission 12 update today, about a 10-minute video detailing where UCF is and plans that he announced uh, a year ago. Seems to be new pretty pictures, still not enough money. Adam? Yeah, I mean, that was the message, right, was we all need to do our part. You need to do your part. Here's what that looks like. And obviously that was, you know, a, a pitch for for financial resources, which I think we all recognize in order to compete at the Big 12 level, we're going to have to raise that level at some point. Um, he talked a lot about self-generating revenue and how some of these facilities will do that. Um, but I mean, it's a it's a pretty wide delta right now between where we are, where we want to be at, and then where the kind of that upper echelon is in the Big 12. I think the most exciting thing I saw, Trace, was I don't think we've all seen some of the upgrades they've already done, the basketball locker room, the softball locker room. It was cool to see some of that stuff behind the scenes as well. But it's clear Timo needs one thing out of you, friends, and that's your money. Well, to that point, Adam, it is on UCF to release those photos and invite the media and have them walk through the locker rooms. If they haven't released those things and we're learning about them uh, in this video, isn't that on UCF? But Leo, the lazy river is still there. Yeah, that lazy river, it almost feels like we're 
trying to copy other programs. I mean, obviously we got UF up the interstate. They they have a lazy river now at the Hevener Complex, and I don't mind it. I, I think it's a great thing because all athletes, obviously, they want these extravagant, you know, <laughs> things they they can do on their on their off time, and and we like to cater to student athletes, especially you know the top athletes in the country and in the state of Florida. So if that's, what's going to get us the top athletes and attraction, then I'm good. I'm good with it. Well, we're going to talk more about this with our guest at eight ten, Jason Beatty, the beat writer for the Knights for the Orlando Sentinel. All right. So Adam, Leo texts me, I was in meetings, been a busy work week and Leo's been everywhere uh, for the sons of UCF. And he says, yeah, Taylor Hendricks is one and done. Shocked, shocked. I tell you, didn't see it coming. Yeah. Taylor, uh... I was not surprised, you know, obviously it's sarcasm, but it, he's going to be a, he's going to be a face for UCF at the next level. And for him to go first round, like we've never had a first rounder at UCF. So it's uh for, for Taylor, this is big for UCF. This is big. So I hope, I hope that his deck, you know, going to the NBA uh, will help the recruiting process for other uh, athletes in, in you know in the state of Florida and to come to UCF I think he'll help a bunch Adam that's a good point right there perhaps Taylor Hendricks biggest contribution to UCF will be off the court when he is drafted in the NBA and Johnny Dawkins and staff and can uh, can recruit uh, based on what he's doing in the NBA it remains to me uh, to be seen Trace it's not lost on me though that we we don't hear from Johnny Dawkins a lot during the season every now and again a zoom pops up but Taylor Hendricks declares you get a Johnny Dawkins press conference, you get a UCF release, you get a, a Johnny Dawkins tweet about that, right? So clearly UCF, you know, capitalizing on that too. But just Taylor Hendricks in general, like he's straight out of central casting, right? Like if we had said, what's the model for what you'd want an athlete to be at UCF, what you want a basketball player to be at UCF, Taylor Hendricks is straight out of central casting. We can do, do it all on the floor. Great kid. Leo and I were talking before the show. Great kid. Uh, somebody who's really smart, really understands what he's, what he's doing. Uh, very nice with the media, very personable. I mean, He's straight out of central casting. It's hard not to root for a kid like that. My hope is that 10 years from now, Leo's sitting down with Taylor Hendricks in the exclusive one-on-one, and he has the same impact that Shaquem and others had in the football program because I think he has that ability. But obviously the draft's a little bit of ways away. Um, We'll see what he does. But, I mean, straight out of central casting, you couldn't ask for a better representation for UCF than Taylor Hendricks. And then the um, other big story this week and uh, also shown in Terry Mahodra's video today is the Embrace of Kingdom NIL. Uh, S.J. Tui, a new executive director of Kingdom, uh, moving over from associate AD, chief of staff, uh, working with Coach Gus Malzahn on the football side, now with Kingdom NIL. Uh, interesting how UCF has put their arms around this kingdom. Yeah, but they opened, you know, the, the new bylaws and rules kind of opened up. And I think UCF dove right into the deep end of the lazy river on this one. Uh, and <laughs> and listen, you can clearly see the tie-in, right? S.A. Chewy was was the right hand of Gus Malzahn, was very integrated in the football program. Now taking over the kingdom side, you certainly can see the synergy and the alignment that's forming between those two organizations. You know, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You know, J.P. Gilbert likes to say all the time, we're five years away from like a RICO indictment and all these NIL <laughs> things, right, at some point. But... I think he Gilbert is, says a lot of things. In fact, you may be right about that one, though. Um, 
But I, I think what it shows you is that UCF's committed to this and they recognize that this is the pathway to continue to be competitive in the football landscape. Now, can we get it to other sports? I think is the other opportunity here. But I would see SJ2, he has a, a, a name folks recognize. I mean, as soon as that news broke, he was on social media for a lot of different outlets. Um, former basketball guy, too. Is, I know his dad plays in basketball, so maybe we get some NAL basketball in there. But um, so you certainly see the synergy now between the kingdom and UCF athletics. Yeah, for me, I love seeing that UCF is being proactive with NIL. I mean, I feel like UCF has been one of the first schools to really become innovative in the NIL. And you see Mission Control and obviously Kingdom NIL merge. They're really active. And as a fan, you like you like to see this because this is going to be our driving force moving forward in the Big 12. Money, 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 money. Pay to play. I know it sounds crazy, but it is what it is. And it's 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 happening big for us so well it's uh, interesting to me that terry mahajer is now competing against kingdom nil on a daily basis for dollars uh, which is certainly interesting uh brandon marcel 24 7 sports uh, reporting the former charlotte head coach will healy who had been on staff uh, being promoted to associate head coach uh, in this i have not seen that in the uh, the ucf releases of course we go, went into this week not knowing these three things. Well, expecting Taylor Hendricks, but the other news, uh, you know, that the spring football underway at UCF. One media availability to see practice about 20 minutes or so on Monday. Leo and I were there for that. Leo, um, quarterbacks, uh, we saw some passes. We saw some handoffs. Uh, what were your big takeaways from Monday's uh, availability? Well, for Monday, obviously the speculation is going to happen, but I saw – the quarterback, they were doing a hurry-up offensive drill, and JRP won, Cassianos to follow him, and then Timmy McLean to finish off the hurry-up offense. So I see that they – obviously it's not a concrete depth chart, but this is what Hinshaw wants to see, just one, two, three, and then having a clear shot at how they look like, how they operate the offense, and how they manage uh, their players out there on the field. I, I saw a good spring day one, although, you know, Hinshaw said it in his press and even uh, Addison Williams, it, they were a little rusty. They weren't in football shape, but they will get there. And uh, I'm looking forward to see seeing what they do next week on Monday when we have uh, availability again. Well, there were a couple of uh, sound availabilities. And uh, the one Thursday today with offensive coordinator Darren Hinshaw, you had opportunity to speak with him. And, and he commented uh, in this clip on, on the offense, right? Bottom line is discipline, attitude, toughness, and effort. It's the first thing I did when I walked in the room. I said, guys, discipline, attitude, toughness, and effort. When you put the film on, that's what I want people to say about us. That's it. The, the, the plays and all that don't matter if we don't have discipline, attitude, toughness, and effort. And, um, the, and, and we preach it daily. And the players are embracing it. The players are talking about it. Uh, D-A-T-E. Uh, pop quiz. Yeah. Pop quiz, Trace. What do we need? Pop quiz. You just heard it. What do we need? Discipline, attitude, toughness, and effort. There we go. Perfect. All right. There'll be a quiz later. We also have a date with our first guest tonight, Jason Beatty, the beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel, who's been there along Leo's side all week. Jason, welcome in to Suns Live. Uh, yes, date. How, how inspiring. 17 minutes with Darren Hinshaw, though. Uh, that's pretty impressive. That's about twice a Chip Lindsay. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Alex Golish. <laughs> who was just as lengthy a couple of years ago, definitely a little different than Chip Lindsay, but 
Uh, look, I think he's he's really happy to be here. You can tell that he's putting a lot of effort into the job, uh, and I think it means a lot to him. I'm not saying it didn't mean a lot to Chip Lindsey or, or, or Alex Golish or coordinators before those two, but I think UCF really hasn't had a coach like Darren Henshaw at least in a long time, um, and uh, you can tell that in the way he talks to us and the way he talks about his players and, and what they want to accomplish. Jason, we saw Terry Mahaja release the Mission 12 update video today. You guys, I know you saw the video. What's the headline for you after you watched that 10-minute video? What's the thing that stood out to you most? I think the fact that the plans are continuing to evolve. Um, that was something Terry Mahaja talked with my colleague Matt Rochelle in October. And this is something he talked about a bunch, you know, in, in different times we've met with him. He's talking about, oh, these are just renderings and these are continuing to change. And they're going to probably continue to change as well. Um, but I thought, you know, something that I pointed out in my, in my story that I wrote for the Sentinel this evening, that's going to be in the newspaper tomorrow is the fact that, you know, the North side of the tower that they were going to have with the coaches offices over the football stadium are now gone. The South, the, 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 the opposite side where they were going to expand above the student section is now gone. And I think the decision to expand Roth tower and really just create a brand new tower there is, is much needed. Um, I understand why he had to, um, you know, put on renderings and 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 maybe get some momentum with, um, you know, donors and people on the street and whatnot. When he when he arrived, right, February twenty one and August twenty one, he announces all these big plans and and we get to see shiny new renderings. Um, in retrospect, maybe they should have attended a football game before they did that. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it is what it is, and this is where we are. Um, but I think the fact that it's changing, it's continuing to change. And also the fact that he's now added a fourth point to his, uh, what he wants to accomplish, right? He, he's already talked about retaining staff and, and making sure coaches are getting big 12 salaries and whatnot and, and making sure, um, you know, uh, facilities are up to, up to some sort of standard in the big 12. And, and um, you know, there's another point there, but the new one is the NIL. Right. And for him to actually come out and say the kingdom NIL and and whatnot, I think if you had told Terry Mahajer in right after he was hired, he probably wouldn't be talking about name, image and likeness this way in such a featured aspect the day after they make a collective, a corporate sponsor. Jason, so my big question is, will Healy? We haven't really, he's gone kind of under the radar ever since he got uh, hired. Obviously, he has a good resume from Austin P. Um didn't have such a great years with a UNC Charlotte as a head coach. What can we expect from him when he just got his promotion now? So what can we expect from him in his new position now? Yeah, that, that obviously isn't official yet. Brandon Marcel, I reported that I was able to confirm that as well. So it's, it's, you know, obviously he's taking more of a role, uh, you know, as an associate head coach or assistant head coach, whatever you want to call that title. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting move. Um, obviously when you, bring someone on with head coaching experience. It's, you know, an opportunity to have another set of eyes that's been in that position and knows what it takes and understands the responsibilities more from just, uh, for more than just, you know, calling plays or being an analyst or, or running around. Uh, it's really someone who understands what it takes to be a head coach. So, you know, obviously he's not on the field coach. He's not a position coach, but I think he's going to be able to provide um, a lot of, uh, 
you know, thoughts and, and different ideas that maybe Gus Malzahn hadn't considered or Darren Henshaw hadn't considered because he has that experience and because he has been a head coach before. Jason, you had the question Monday of Gus Malzahn about his demeanor on the uh, practice fields as he watched Darren Henshaw with the quarterbacks. He didn't really bite. He gave you the 22nd answer, but I thought it was an interesting observation. Uh, still trying to find his way out on those practice fields. Yeah, that was the first thing I know. I mean, all these years of seeing Josh Heupel and going back to Scott Frost and even Gus Malzahn, the few years he was there, he's always right in the fire, right? He's always, I mean, we've seen so, so many clips of him screaming and shouting and, and right in the face of the quarterbacks and, and, and maybe even sometimes acting out the right footwork they're supposed to do or how to hand the ball off right. And, and the other day, for the first time, in a few years for Gus, I mean, you have to remember this is the first time he's given up play calling that happened at Auburn before, but for the first time at UCF, he's off to the side. And that was really interesting to see Darren Henshaw in the fire in up with the quarterbacks, telling them what to do, telling them what, where to go. And, and Gus is kind of off to the side. And I don't think that's, you know, obviously he's still the head coach. He still has control over everything. And I'm sure he's still going to have a big say in the quarterback position and, and other aspects of the team. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that's the question that I asked, how's that role for you? But um, it's the reality of what it is for him, and I think he, I think he does enjoy the new role. Um, but I think once he got out onto the practice field, right, it's 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 talking about it, it's actually going through it is a different process for him. Well, we'll see how he does in the fall and in the first game. Jason, what are the position battles you're paying most attention to as we kind of get into spring and, and lead into the spring game? Yeah, I think, you know, the, one of the other things that I noticed on Monday was the fact that Lakai Pol was working at center. Um, and I think center is a position where, I don't know if it's a position battle, but even that entire offensive line, um, you know, replacing Sam Jackson, Ryan Spoboda, you know, Tylen Grable's back and he's out there, but he's in a non-contact and, um, you know, seems to be recovering from some sort of injury. We don't know, but he's in a non-contact jersey. Adrian Medley's working his way back from injury. Um, they, they added a couple – experienced offensive linemen uh, from the portal uh, as well. So I think figuring out the offensive line is really important. And, and I don't know if you want to call that a battle. I mean, obviously the quarterback battle is, you know, the one that's going to make the most headlines, but I think finding your right center um, Fresno state transfer Bula Schmidt was brought in. They have Drake Metcalf from Stanford coming in later. They have Jonathan Klein who they signed last year. He's now a redshirt freshman. I mean, um, but to see Lakai on the day one working at center, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if they have to add anything else after after spring ball for the offensive line. So we know how important depth is in the Big 12, and you're, you're playing up against teams that have that quality depth, and that's what they're trying to develop. Jason, we talked to Darren Hinshaw today about the passing game. We He actually came out first saying, talking about the vertical passing game, how he was uh, making his quarterback sling it. Uh, how, how do you like – the passing game moving forward, do you think it'll be effective immediately or is it going to take a, a minute just because uh, UCF last year was a very run dominant team and is that going to affect the running game moving forward? Or is he going to have a balanced offense? Yeah, I think it's going to be a balanced offense still. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn loves to run the football. I don't think they're going to get completely away from that. I don't think, it's the, you know, they're going to go one direction or the other. I think it's going to be a mixture of both, but there's a reason, you know, someone like Ryan O'Keefe transferred. I think he was just done doing jet sweeps, right? Uh, there was a reason quarterbacks love to play for Josh Heupel. They get to throw 50 touchdowns a year and 500 passing yards per game, right? So 
it's going to be somewhere in the middle there where you're maybe picking up the tempo a little bit more um, and, and throwing the ball down the field. That's something that, um, you know, Gus didn't do a whole lot of. They obviously took shots when they felt like they had an opportunity to. But I think Hinshaw made a really interesting point is, you know, stretching the field vertically isn't just, you know, running four seams and throwing the ball as far as you can and hoping your guy makes the play or hoping there's a broken coverage. It's, it's you know, finding guys in the middle of the field and using the middle of the field and, um, you know, running plays where I think Darren mentioned it today, any play they have, anyone can catch the ball. It just depends on what the defense provides. And um, that's where the quarterback position comes in. So, in, so critically is the quarterback has to make the right read, make, make the right throw, make the right decision. And, and that's why the quarterback competition is so important. You know, that was something they talked about with Mikey Keene last year. He made so few mistakes and really understood the offense, but John Rice gave you the legs and, and could make the right decision every so often. Obviously we saw the turnovers and, and, and whatnot, but um, I think with Darren Henshaw incorporating more of the downfield passing, that's going to open up more things to run the ball, right? That's, that's how that works. So um, I think they're both going to be really important in this offense regardless. Uh, one of the questions that we have this spring uh, is at the linebacker position. Coach Malzahn asked about that on Monday. Addison Williams talked about it on Tuesday as well. There, there are a lot of questions there, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, you have Jason Johnson returning, and, and um, you know he's got so much experience and, and was you know a highlight of last year's defense. And um, you know, I think Cam Moore. He looked bigger. He put on you know put on some muscle in the off season with those winter workouts and whatnot. I think those two are probably going to emerge. Um, <clears throat> you know, again, quality depth is so important, and 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 that's what they're trying to develop. I think Brandon Jennings is a guy that, you know, he got a lot of play early on in the year and took a red shirt, and, and we haven't seen, you know, for someone who started in the Big Ten, I think him coming along will be really important as well. So um, figuring out linebacker, again, it's interesting to see, um, you know, one position group be a question mark uh, year after year um, on one side of the ball. Now the defensive line, of course, is really strong and, and figuring out the secondary is also just important. I mean, um, you talk about linebacker, but figuring out who's going to start and, and where you're going to put guys on the field in the secondary, you know, from the Henderson twins to new guys like driver Wilson um, is important as well. Jason, quick detour. We saw, uh, we learned yesterday today that Taylor Hendricks going to the NBA, not a surprise, I think, for all of us. What kind of impact do you think him being a first-round pick potentially could have on this UCF basketball program? Yeah, I think it, it it's really big. Um, you know, I think draft night, whenever he gets picked, whether it's in a lottery or just somewhere in the first round, the fact that the NBA commissioner is going to say Taylor Hendricks, University of Central Florida or UCF or whatever he says, uh, that's really big for branding. I mean, you talk about going to the best basketball league in the country, in the Big 12, to have your first ever one and done right now. I think obviously some fans wish he was staying around for that first year in the Big 12. Uh, but to have that one and done, you know, especially when he wasn't a one and done, right? He wasn't supposed to be this high. I mean, he obviously was a four-star recruit. He won two state championships. We knew about, you know, his, his versatility on the court, but he wasn't coming in here expected to be a one and done. I mean, he had NBA aspirations like any player should, uh, he wasn't a top 50 recruit in his class. You know, it's not like he was this five-star kid, you know, picking between Duke and Carolina. I mean, he he went to UCF for a reason, and his brother came with him for a reason, and he wanted to play for Johnny Dawkins for a reason. And for them to develop him, obviously he had a – I mean, he wasn't completely talentless. He has some – he was obviously really talented uh, coming out of high school. But to be developed into a one-and-done and a lottery pick, 
I think goes afar and having that NBA draft experience, uh, not just for Taylor, but you know, everywhere you're going to see UCF, 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 that's massive for the program. And that was something I asked Johnny today and he talked about that, how it impacts, you know, recruiting as a whole as well. Staying on basketball, Jason, you know, moving forward next season, there could be a lot of roster changes. What's your rough prediction on how UCF will look like? Will there be more than half the team transferring out or are we going to get transfers? You know, kind of give us, you know, what you think is going to happen with the scholarships and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, we talked with Johnny Dawkins today talking about Taylor Hendricks and he got a couple of questions about next year's team. I think he really wishes that CJ Kelly and Michael Durr probably had another year. <laughs> um, CJ Kelly, know, at least. Yeah, at least CJ Kelly. I mean, if Michael Durr were healthy, who knows how the season was going, but CJ Kelly was a guy, obviously, that they're going to miss next year. Um, but I think he mentioned it seems like Ethel Horton is bound to come back, um, which would be big. He's obviously a you know a true scorer. I think there are questions around Darius Johnson and what he was able to do this year. He was another player where they have such a great freshman year. We saw this with Isaiah Adams, you know, and then the second year is you know whether it's injury or whatever it may be, the role changes. He's not as uh, you know, dangerous on the court. He still obviously has a great handle, but there were a lot of lackluster play and turnovers where you, you wonder, you know, where his mind was at towards the end of the season. But um, I, I don't think it's going to be complete roster turnover. There's obviously some guys, you know, you talk about someone like Brandon Suggs uh, and Lahat Toon. Are, are they big 12 players? I'm not sure. Um, but I think they're going to, you know, they have a couple spots. I'm sure there's going to be a few more spots to open up. Obviously, Jalen Young has already decided to move on. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple more players. So, um, you know, Johnny understands that he needs to upgrade his roster and, and they're going to they're going to look in the portal to do that. Let's wrap up with this. One of my favorite parts of your coverage in the Orlando Sentinel is your notebook section. So we won't give away everything, but you mentioned some of the position changes, number changes, injuries as well. We saw Colton Boomer in the walking boot, and I think that surprised many. Yeah, it did. I mean, you know, I think those injuries happen. Those injuries just bound to happen. I guess he rolled his ankle and some something like that. Maybe he wasn't playing basketball or something like that, but um, you know, Colton Boomer getting hurt. Um, you never know who's going to come out in the spring in a non-contact uniform, what that means for the guys behind him or the guys around him. And um, those were some of the inf- inside informations and observations that I made from the first 20 minutes of practice. And it's, it's interesting to learn. It's interesting to see how much you can learn 20 minutes, 25 minutes of practice. I'm excited for Monday's access. That's right. Of course, Saturday, though, next availability with head coach Gus Malzahn. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel will be there, and he has been here with Suns Live. Jason, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Right, thank you. Thank you, guys. The, uh, the big get, the big guest on the Suns pod, Adam and Mike, uh, was uh, Alex Ward. And I got to tell you my favorite part. I don't know if this is the clip that you pulled, but when Mike tried to stump. <laughs> no. <laughs> when Mike tried to stump a Pegasus, order a Pegasus award winner. One of the smartest people you're going to find at Alex Ward with brain teasers. Yeah. <laughs> Alex no. Ward was just swatting him down. 
Yeah, this should be no surprise to anybody. Actually, the clip I pulled, Trace, was, you know, we obviously saw Alex a lot. And uh, and I think the one thing that we all know about Alex is his leadership. And I thought it was a great story. He talked about punter Mitch McCarthy, who came to the States, hadn't really played football before, didn't really know some of the rules and what he was doing. And I thought it was kind of funny and, and, and also spoke to Alex's leadership, the way he kind of took Mitch under his wing. So a little bit of a lengthy clip, so stick with me. But here's, uh, here's Alex Ward from this week's Sons of UCF podcast. As he grew into the year. He started, you know, learning the game, situational, you know, type of stuff. And so um, I'd always be the one briefing him before we got in a situation. Like the coaches are all trying to figure out what they do or what they need to do. And I've been here long enough. I know exactly what we're about to do. So I'd be over there on the side. Like, all right, Mitch. So you see it's it's third down and 12 on our own 35-yard line. They know we're not going to fake it, so they're going to rush it. So – He's going to come over here in a second and tell you you need to punt it really fast. What he's really saying is I get my butt ripped if we get this blocked. So you just need to not get it blocked. So he's going to come over here and he's going to stress you out. Don't listen to him because this is what he's really saying. And, you know, we just need to get this punt off. We're good at it. Let's just do what we always do. (laughs) Solid advice. Solid. You find out what's on all of those calendar pages behind him. You do. You do. You do. Unexpected twist. I did not expect him to tell me the entire calendar there, but uh, he does. <laughs> He's go giving you day calendar. by day. You, you know about his sister's day. wedding that's coming up in April, I believe. Wait till yeah. Wait till you hear the story about his best friend's wedding. I, I don't want to spoil <laughs> everything that happened there, but Alex Ward's uh, appearance at his best friend's wedding is is not a story you want to miss. Will you be releasing this as a standalone? Yeah, so I, I, I've got a gym. yeah, I've got a, a quick uh, confession to make. So I, I was out of town this week for work. I had the world's worst Wi-Fi. And kudos to these two gentlemen on the on the on the screen here. Trace and Leo are so good with the videos and the content. I have like ten videos in the queue. I have to load at some point for our new one thousand subscribers on what? YouTube. Trace, by the way, one thousand. Yeah. Do we get there? I don't even, you know, I don't even pay attention to it. I know you barely know. There's a comma there now. So, uh, as a, as a gift to all 1000 of you, I have a bunch of videos to upload from Trace and Leo this week too. So if you're not subscribing now, 1001 could be in your future. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. And you're giving away hats, right? You're going to have to figure that out now that we've hit that thousand. I did. I have two winners already. Um, Jackson Lyon and, uh, Tara, um, from uh, Twitter. I think her name is Hawk lover. I think is her, her, her handle. Uh, they are the uh, two Tara. winners of the uh, sons of UCF hats. I believe Jackson's is already in the air, maybe in his hands as we speak. I'm still efforting Tara's address. So congrats and thank you to Tara and Jackson for your support of the sons YouTube channel. Again, over a thousand. And then Mike's getting the tattoo is uh, when he's back with us on the live show, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we um, switch gears and talk baseball, we talked a little bit about Taylor Hendricks, of course, men's basketball. You recapped a little of this on the Suns pod, uh, bowing out, uh, losing in that second round of the NIT to Oregon. Uh, never really close uh, after that early lead. Uh, Knights just could not shoot the ball, Leo. Uh, CJ Kelly, 13 points. Taylor Hendricks, nine. Uh, Adam, you graded the season a C. I asked on my poll a lot of response to this one. Overwhelming, 62% of people. Gave it a C. I uh, purposely left the A out. I don't think uh, that was going to get too many. Uh, Leo, what's your final grade? You've got an article up now recapping the season on twonightsmedia.com. What grade do you give the Knights? Yeah, I think the C is a fair grade to give. Uh, I think D is a little too harsh. I know people were expecting to make some type of tournament, whether it was the NIT or March Madness was just a plus, obviously, but 
a D, 20, uh, 21%, that's a lot of people saying D. So it's kind of concerning. But uh, I would say C just because they did make that NIT tournament. They did the bare minimum that we could expect, I would say. Um, honestly, I feel like if they would have made March Madness, the season would have been an A. It would mm-hmm. definitely would have been an A. It didn't matter if we were knocked out of the round of 64. But – yeah, see for sure. Uh, it's it's sad that we went out the way we did just because we've been playing so many close games throughout the season, and then they kick our butt like that. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna stick with the C. For, for Adam, you you voted C, but if it was C plus C C minus, where would you have been? Probably more on the C minus side. I think there's so many missed opportunities for the team this year. I think that's how I'll remember this team is this inconsistent, right? We look great one game. We're blowing the Gators off the court. The next game, we don't even know what side of the basket we're supposed to be shooting on. So I think it was just that inconsistency from game to game. That's always going to be my mark. I, I think the thing that you have, to, you have to remember with this, and it's also a good and a bad argument because we had low expectations coming into the season, right? Leo and I were talking before the show. Raise your hand if you thought C.J. Kelly was going to be a, a, a pivotal player for the Knights. We all didn't know who he was. He was on his fourth school in five years. You know, I think we looked at the roster and said, who are these guys? Like, this, there's nothing that's going to happen here. Uh, and, and we came out really, really hot, and we played really well. And I think that, that amped up a little bit of the expectation and then a lot of just missed opportunities. So I'll remember this year for inconsistency, you know, not being able to, to close some late games, inventing new ways to lose games that I've never seen before, i.e. not blocking out, i.e. Mm-hmm. giving up a full-court layup with like two seconds in the clock, just th- those kind of fun things. Uh, but I think overall, I'll give it a C, just inconsistent throughout the year. Yeah, 13-4, and four, raised expectations, getting swept by the cows was part of that second half slide bottom out trace that's the bottom out pit you can't you can't lose to the cows twice no no if you split there by the way you probably have 20 wins and and maybe things don't look quite uh, so dire what does not make a lot of sense is that ucf baseball uh went up to your neck of the woods adam you missed it you're out of town you missed it night's leading in this one a two out three run home run north florida the ospreys defeat the knights four to two and I immediately texted our next guest, Stephen Bronco, part of the ESPN Plus coverage of the Knights, and said to Stephen, um, I, "I just, I just don't get uh, what what happened there, uh, you know." So Stephen, come on, they they got to go. They're two twenty one in the RPI North floor. I, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. I mean, I wasn't playing. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't put together a lineup. I didn't put anybody in from the bullpen. Sixteen I didn't have- left on base. Come on. At least they got him on base. I, mean, I know, but you got to do something. We got to pick and choose our battles. I mean, the left on base thing is something that is is hard to analyze, right? Is it is it a lineup thing? Because guys are getting on base. Are the guys in the wrong positions here to where you don't have guys that are able to drive them in? Because there's some guys that just can't hit with guys on base. Like that's just some people have that block. And so I don't know if it's a lineup thing. I don't know if it's just a pressure thing. Maybe. They're not, and I know they practice this. They practice pressure situations. I mean, it's just, it's just different when you're in a game. I guess I don't know. Michael, 17 strikeouts. He, he mentioned too, by the way. That's unbelievable. Yeah, not good. Days. It's not good. <laughs> not good. Stephen, obviously that game ends in a Kyle Kramer uh, walk-off uh, pitch, essentially. As a player, how do you how do you bounce back from something like that? What what is Kyle doing the next couple of days? What are his teammates doing? What are coaches doing to kind of rally around him and, and sort of help him bounce back from a moment like that? Yeah, I think you just got to go back to the good times. I mean, that's you're going to fail in baseball. That's it's the hardest sport out there because of failure. 
And it's not, I mean, it's already hard because it's a 90 mile an hour baseball coming at you and you're trying to hit around with a round bat. Like, but the mental side, the amount of failure that happens, um, it, it's, it's really hard to overcome mentally. And so you got to just stay positive. You got to pick him up. You're going to need him throughout the year. And so it's the first time we've seen him kind of have a little bit of a, of a slide, right? He, it's the first time, first blemish really that he's had. And so, um, you know, he's going to have those, get it out of the way in a midweek game. I know it's a bad team and, uh, you know, try to get that out of the way now before conference, uh, when it really, really matters, but, uh, they just got to get in there and they got to, they got to be positive and, and just kind of put it in the past and focus on the next one. Steve, what's, what's the strategy here? Do you, do you want to get him back in the game as quickly as possible to erase that? Or do you want to kind of ease him back in? Yeah, I, I think you want to get him back in to erase it. Um, because he is that type of guy. I just know the kid and I know who he is. Like he's a fierce competitor. And so he wants to get back on the mound. He wants to face somebody. He wants to just, you know, clear that and get onto the next and, and have that, that little bit of success to where he's back on track and, and he'll get right back on track this weekend. I'm sure. Steven, you mentioned uh, not, you didn't do the lineup and you didn't, you know, uh, set up the starting pitching. You didn't uh, leave all the men on base. Right. <laughs> right. right now, uh, we've seen some inconsistency with the uh, starting pitching. You know, sometimes we have Dom pitching on Saturday. Sometimes he's a, a midweek pitcher. What would your starting uh, lineup look like? Or what would your weekend uh, lineup look like for pitching um, as we stand? Or I, I have to add this because baseball is a game of analytics now. Do you go off what the other team is giving you? Yeah, it's a combination. Um but you want to, in my opinion, you want to have the the comfortability of that weekend rotation. Like you want to know where your guys are at, right? Uh, you don't want to be playing to the odds or to the other team all the time. You want to be able to say, all right, this is our Friday guy. This is our Saturday guy. This is our Sunday guy. And I think right now, I think Rudy Gomez on Friday, has he's really locked himself into that spot, right? And I think Don Stagliano is the next best arm. I think he is number two. And I think Cam Leiter is number three, but he's got to get it going. Um, the ability is there. He just hasn't shown it really yet. You've seen it in spurts. You just haven't seen it consistently. And so he's just got to get going. Um, and Jacob Marlowe has showed pretty well as well in a few starts. And so, you know, they need they need a couple of those guys to really just separate themselves. Uh, I know how excited they were going into the year about this pitching staff and some of the guys just haven't produced the way they want to just yet. And so, you know, you're looking at guys like Niger Victor, who was supposed to be a guy for them. You know, we talked about Marlowe. You're talking about um, Zach Austin is another guy that is supposed to be uh, a guy that they thought was going to be a midweek starter for him. And he's barely pitched out of the bullpen because he struggled with command. And so they're trying to get him back on track after he had an injury in the fall. So there's just, there's just, they have the pieces it's just whether or not they get him to be consistent. Well, a name Greg Lovelady expected to be a part of that weekend rotation was Ben Vespi. And, mm. uh, you know, the, the lineup, the announcement of the weekend starters, Rudy uh, Staggs and uh, Jacob Marlowe on Sunday for this weekend series against Maryland. Still no Ben Vespi. Any news uh, on uh, anything you're hearing? on? on yeah, I think, I, think I think they probably brought him back a little early from the injury that he had. Um, and so it, he went out and he had that outing and he just wasn't himself. He didn't feel like himself. Um, you know, the ball wasn't coming out like it did for him last year. And so 
I think they see it as, okay, if we can get him back once conference starts to who he was last year, they're in business. And so I think they're just trying to wait it out and try to get to that point. He'll probably come back into a bullpen role once that happens, just because you want to ease him back in or a midweek spot somewhere where he only starts, you know, starts a midweek game, throws two, three innings. If he's, if he's the guy that you're expecting him to be, then you, know, you can move forward and put him on the Sunday spot um, in the weekend rotation. But I think you got to ease him back in because you know how good he is once he is healthy and he is himself. And so I think that's what they're waiting for is they got a bunch of guys who just aren't themselves right now, but when they are, you, they're really good. What would you do with Cam Leiter right now? I, I think you got to keep throwing him out there because midweek it's a, uh, I mean, yeah, but if you need him on the weekend, you need him on the weekend. I mean, because you got to win, right? You got to win a series. And so um, depending on the midweek, maybe, you know, if you had the FSUs or Miami's, which is Miami is coming up this coming up uh, not long from now. I mean, it's coming up, but uh, I, I, it's just you got to get them back going, though. And that's the problem is. I went out in the fall and I watched the kid and he's absolutely electric through a ton of strikes. Now he's missing glove side with the fastball. His body's not synced up. The only pitch that it really seems like it's synced up on is his changeup slider sometimes. But the problem is you could tell it's a mechanical mix up. He's, he's not lined up properly. The, the mechanics are off. And so they're trying to get him back on track. I know they are. And so once he does, I mean, watch out. All right, Stephen. Again, Mike's not here, so allow me to derail the show. Uh, Please. World Baseball Classic. A lot of a lot of controversy around the WBC. Some people saying that it's an exhibition tournament, shouldn't be going on right now. Guys shouldn't be playing. We saw Edwin Diaz and the Mets get injured, but a great game on Tuesday night with arguably two of the best players in Major League Baseball facing off at the very last pitch of the game. What are your thoughts on the WBC? Is it something you think we should continue with? Do you not like when it's played, or do you think it's just kind of like a cheesy exhibition? I think it's good for baseball. I think getting exposure for baseball out there at that level um, is great for the game. I think you see a different level of pride when you get to play for your country. And so um, <clears throat> I think it's great for the game of, of baseball as a whole. Uh, as for the injuries and the timing of it all, that's going to happen. Um, I mean, when do you play it? You can't play it after the season because guys are spent at that point. You're You're risking guys for more injury at that point, I feel like. So um, I think it's, it's fine where it's at. I think it's good for the game. I think guys show a ton of pride in their country and want to go out and play. Um, I wish that they would show that type of pride week in and week out with the clubs that they're a part of on a regular basis. And I understand uh, in a tournament like that, it's more of a, a do or die type of thing. And 162 games is a lot of games. So I understand it, but I think it's really great for baseball in the end. Steven, I followed college baseball closely, you know, throughout my childhood and obviously growing up. I personally have never seen a team like UCF bat the way they're batting and putting on the offense that they're putting on. I, I look at the lineup and I'm seeing 300 hitters right down the lineup. And I don't know where this ranks on your uh, <clears throat> the best offensive UCF teams in history, but I'm looking also the ranks in the in the nation and they're also up there. So what do you make of this UCF offense? Yeah, it's fun to watch. Um, it's also helped. I'm not saying this is the reason. I'm saying it's a lot of fun because when you walk out there for batting practice and you see the wind blowing 20 miles an hour out, you get really excited as a hitter. Um, <laughs> not saying that that's been the only reason why they've hit, but it has helped some of those power numbers. 
Um, anytime you walk out there and, and you're a hitter and you see that, you get really excited. And you notice the games that the wind's not blowing or it's blowing in, the number of home runs that are hit are significantly less. Uh, I think they had a program that was put in place probably back in 2020 when I was there. And you're starting to see it actually get implemented and they're comfortable with the program that they were using. And so now you're starting to see what it looks like to see pro hitters. The other side of it is because it is a pro program. Okay. It came from the Red Sox. It came from uh, Andy Barquette, who was assistant hitting coach with the Red Sox, won a world series with them back in 2018. Um, And so you're seeing that program in place, but also what you're seeing is you're seeing a level of college baseball now that has older guys playing guys that are 23, 24, even some of them possibly 25 at this point with all of these red shirts going on, you're seeing young men playing when, I mean, most of this, there's guys that age in the big leagues. Right. And so you're seeing guys that the, I wish I knew then what I know now you're seeing that in play currently, right? Because they have their sixth year of college and they're, they're learning, they're adapting. And that's, that's what they're supposed to do. They just have, have had the extra years to do it at this point. And so you're seeing grown men playing at this point, which I think is the entire country. You're seeing power numbers jump through the roof. You and Eric Lopez teamed uh, over this past weekend, had the Saturday game. What's going through your mind when the Knights are down to Dartmouth uh, with nine to three, and then they, they mount the, the massive comeback, a lot of exciting viral moments in that comeback, the Grand Slam. But what, what are you thinking when they get behind again on yet another Saturday? I, I kept saying that don't count them out because the wind is blowing out and their offense could do some crazy stuff. I mean, like the wind was blowing out, but also that offense is that good to where they could put up a crooked number. They can they can do a lot of things, and we've seen it. And so don't count them out. But also, I was leaning back in my chair like, this can't be happening. Like, this is brutal to watch. Like, the, really, to be honest, the one thing that was going through my head is my dad played at Cornell. So he's an Ivy Leaguer. And if I knew that UCF lost to an Ivy League team, I would never hear the end of it from my dad. So that Even was if it was issue. not Cornell. Right. It didn't matter. If it, was, if it was a bunch of smart kids beating UCF, I would never hear the end of it. And so I, I really needed them to pull through just for that fact that I would never live it down from my dad. So um, that's definitely what was going through my head was this can't happen because I'll never hear the end of it. You talked about needing to win series. Give us a preview of Maryland. They come in Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, at John Juliano Park. Yeah, I think they're a really good team. I think their numbers don't show it right now, but I think they're a really good team. They were uh, preseason. A lot of uh, writers had them. Uh, and analysts had them as a top 25 team. Um, and I still think that they have that ability. Have they been able to put it together just yet? No. Will they put it together this weekend? UCF's luck? Maybe. Um, you just don't know. Uh, but I do think they got some arms. They got some guys that could throw it. They got some guys that could hit. Their hitting coach is a really great hitting coach. So they have some um, they have some tenure with a guy there that's done a really great job with hitters in the past. So they're going to be able to hit as well. So I think it's just a matter of time before it clicks for that squad that you're going to see them start to take off a little bit. So um, I think they're they're going to give UCF everything they want this week. That's for sure. Win the weekend. Steve Branca, we thank you for being with us on Suns Live. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, David. All right. They got to win two out of three. Uh, a lot of pressure on uh, – 
Stags on Saturday, you know Jacob Marlowe's going, let's not have Saturday go south because then all the pressure's on me on it, Sunday. We, we won in the Citronaut Blues situation this weekend. Yeah. Is, the, is the curse yeah. over at all? We, yeah. we, no, okay. All right, never mind. Yeah, I don't think that's over. Yeah. Okay, sorry I asked. <laughs> you know, what, Leo? You don't think the curse is over? You don't think that there's anything to uniforms creating problems? I don't think I don't think it, I think it's a mental block. I don't think the uniform has to do anything with it. Uh, obviously, well, all right, had him boot him. All right, and moving on. Silent, can I mute him? Where's that? All right, that's uh, Friday at six, Saturday at six, Sunday at one, and then at FAU, a rumor maybe Brian W. Peterson, maybe maybe UCF Mike go into that game at FAU. I think I think I, think I heard a rumor of that. Yeah, a rare UCF Mike appearance. Mm, very good very good all right uh aac play starts for softball uh they had another tough uh, run out in oklahoma over the weekend uh, 18 and 16 overall wichita state it's expected to be them or the knights wichita state number 22 thought of something new this week how about we go to a little pre-tape thing with our man eric lopez the voice of ucf softball give us a little preview this weekend all right, guys, uh, it's American Conference play getting going this weekend. UCF will host number 22, Wichita State. It is a matchup of the last two American Conference champions in softball. Of course, the Knights coming off a one-and-three trip in Stillwater, highlighted by Grace Jewell's no-hitter against number 22, Arizona State. But the Knights were not able to kind of take advantage of momentum there, build any momentum as they lost to Arizona State in the rematch and lost twice to number two, Oklahoma State. It's a new season for the Knights as they come in against hosting the Shockers, who also ironically can rank 22nd, led by the nation's leading hitter, Sidney McKinney, hitting 578. That's going to be a big key factor. Can this young Knights pitching staff keep Sidney McKinney under control, who, of course, leads this explosive Wichita State offense? Of course, the Knights and the Shockers are the two favorites in the American Conference. UCF currently 47 in the RPI. That's right on the bubble line. This is a huge series. The Shockers are in the 20s RPI. So lots of ramifications with the conference championship as well as NCAA tournament ramifications and much more. For the final time in the regular season as conference rivals, the Knights and the Shockers will play at the Plex starting Friday at 6 o'clock, Saturday at 4, and then Sunday at a special 11 a.m. Eastern start time catch all the action at the plex or on espn plus i will be there with alex powers say, come say hello uh, if you have a chance back to you trace and out what a, what a pro he, he throws it back to us what a pro this eric lopez is he didn't know leo he didn't know you were crashing the party or he would have included you oh man sure. you know what i i'm gonna have to watch that clip over and over man i get to take some notes because that was, that <laughs> was i think that I think this week's game is where where on earth is Eric Lopez? I have a Payless shoe store. I have a humidor. <laughs> Maybe some VHS tapes. Uh, so a lot of good. You options. got to the bottom of that, right? Those things behind him, or what? His notes? Yeah, yeah. Eric is a a purveyor of uh, his game notes. I think the. Uh, box scores, notes he takes from games. So I think he saves all. I think there are some VHS, VHS tapes back there as well. I don't know if he has a VCR. I don't know if anybody has a VCR these days. But um, Eric is a uh, as a studier of all things sports related. Friday at six, Saturday at four, Sunday the early start as Eric mentioned, eleven a.m. I believe the series is sold out. Eric was telling me, and then North Florida on Tuesday, uh, March thirty-one at six p.m. All right, hot take time. Fire up the fireplace. Okay. 
Uh, no fire play. I mean, I think people are going to know about that. Here's hot takes. Here's the first one here. I'll, I'll start with uh, Hugh C. Hef. The Kingdom NIL should be obligated to raise money for facilities too and not just player compensation. Trace, do you agree with this take? Is this a good take or a bad take? I like the take. I, I agree, but we know that's not what it's for. I do think what's interesting is of football. What's that's it? bad? I agreed with him. Is that uh and bad? I I'm a I'm a word cue guy. You said bad, I hit it. You're hitting the buttons. Uh, is, uh, are they going to expand to any other sports, namely men's basketball? Are they going to help Johnny bring in some better recruits, or is it all football all the time? Leo, good take or bad take? I don't agree with it. I think it's a bad take. In my opinion. Uh, should be strictly for the players, uh, name, image, and likeness. So name, obviously a person, image. You know that's not what it's about, though. The NIL? Yeah, it has nothing to do with name, image, and likeness. It's legal bags of money. Oh, oh I learn yeah. something Some new every day. Yeah. Learn so- well, you know what? This is what I have to say about that, though. I feel as I feel as if T- Timo needs to get his donors right and have them donate more instead of making them obligated to, to uh, facilities and uh, players. Um, I feel like they should definitely – you know, maybe spew out a little bit more cash towards us. I need a, stuff. I need a mic drop sounder for Leo. We should really do a, uh, a word limit on these. Uh, Black gold underscore Ed. Timo got more excited about hosting the first round of the NCAA March Madness for other schools than he did about the actual NIT games UCF Hoops was playing in. Leo, I'll start with you. Good take or bad take? Man. Um, that's a yes. That's a yes. We all know. Yes. Yeah. It's a <laughs> Yeah. A good take. Yeah. Um, I honestly did he post anything about men's basketball. I, I did he, not see it. I don't think no. he did. I don't think he I did. did. I, I I follow him on Twitter and I don't, I don't think he did. But Leo didn't see it. It didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did. But I found it a little strange. I'm not going to lie. I did find it a little strange when he was out there. Kind of unannounced out of nowhere, people were confused as to why he was at Amway. Well, that's the only way you can go to an NCAA right. tournament game. But I'm- right, right. <laughs> um, maybe you should, you know, start working towards towards getting UCF there. But you know, I was I was very confused myself as as well as other fans, and it didn't sit well with other fans. So it definitely looked like he was kind of siding on, you know, oh well, I have this opportunity to, you know, host the March Madness, uh, you know, behalf you, uh, on behalf of UCF. So it's like using the school in a way. And to me, it doesn't look good. So Trace, agree, disagree? Agree. So, next up, I think it's a new one, Frosty Junction. It takes, <laughs> it takes money to consistently win in men's basketball. Should not be a hot take. <laughs> But apparently it is. Trace, I don't think it's a hot take as well. I don't suspect you do either. No, I, I totally agree with this. Uh, you know, Mike's not here to defend the Farley Dickinsons of the world and uh, that they, they did it with uh, with no money. It's still going to take money. But you know what? I, I'll be here for Mike, and I'm going to say this is a bad take. Oh. Yes, I'm, gonna, I'm going to defend you. Oh, he's, he's channeling. I am channeling. I, am channeling. I have to go against this because <laughs> – you got to start somewhere. A program, a basketball program has to start somewhere. 
we see obviously Farley Dickinson's, yeah, those are Cinderella stories. And, and, you know, they get there through, you know, playing nobodies as they'd like to get, as they like to say, but, you know, Florida Atlantic, I think is a good example. They play in a, a pretty good league. I would say, uh, I think conference USA has some talent um, to, uh, there, but they, they started somewhere. I don't think FAU was dropping bags. If you actually go and look at where they play, <laughs> you look at if you look at the Shapiro Family Center, isn't that one of the four schools you've gone to, or is it five? That, no, that is yes. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> oh, Trace, <laughs> Chief Shot, you and well, Brian W. Peterson, the, the C.J. Kelly, and FAU it's, it's not just FAU though. There's been there's been countless of schools. They they might have been one hit wonders. Yes, uh, I'm old enough to remember when George Mason made it into the Final Four back in '06. We all are. They, <laughs> Everybody oh, yeah. is. Yeah, I don't want people uh, underestimating. You know how old I am, but I saw that and nobody. That was definitely a, that was definitely a one hit wonder school. They thought that 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 they would make you know a basketball school out of George Mason. You haven't really heard of George Mason since then, but you got also the Virginia Commonwealth of the of the world. They they made it to the tournament a few times. Shaka Smart came out of there. So why can't UCF kind of be that? And, you know, we're a big school. UCF's a big school. They're going to have the bags. They're, they're going to they're gonna drop the money. So imagine if we can just do kind of what those schools do. Obviously, yes, it's, it's hard. It, it's easier said than done. I get it. But I, I, I'm just going to, you know, channel in a, a mic. And, you know, I, I felt like I had to do it here. So. Straight from Leo, the CJ Kelly of the Sons of UCF. Mm. All right, here we go. Trace for you, Charler, Charlie Zollers with two S's, the outfield fans for I baseball. I enjoy reading. I enjoy you reading these. I don't understand. what the, I assume it's a first and last name, but there's two S's. That can't be right. The outfield fans for baseball are better than the student section for basketball, Trace. Hot take, agree or no? I'd say more consistently in attendance. I don't have so a button for that. I'm going to go yes. All right. Leo, you are a you are a frequenter of both venues. What do you what do you say? I'm actually going to agree with this. Um, yes, okay. I, I I feel like as a baseball fan, um, considering the sport and how slow it is, you're taking time out of your day to go watch baseball. I'm not. This is not a bash towards baseball. It's it's a. I think it's an art to to love the sport and to understand it and to sit there. You have to have passion to really sit there and watch baseball and enjoy every pitch. So this is definitely a good take. This is an amazing take, actually. Amazing. amazing. I don't have – I need a button for that. All right, uh, UCF underscore blue 626. Navy had the second-best football winning percentage in the AAC games while completing less than an average of five passes per game, which only means one thing, gentlemen. Pocket passers are overrated. Leo, your thoughts? Awful take. My goodness. <laughs> Pocket passers are there's a reason why there has not been a scrambler to reach the NFL and be a successful, you know, Hall of Famer. Obviously, you got your Mike Vicks of the world and, you know, Lamar Jackson's up there. Uh, one of them hasn't made the Hall of Fame yet. And this is like, I, I'm not trying to put down those players because I'm actually a really big fan of, of Lamar Jackson. Um, but pocket passers are definitely needed. Throwing the ball in football, I feel like, is the most exciting play. I don't, I don't, I'm not the type to, you know, uh, pound, pound the rock, but I love passing. I love passing the ball. And 
it's it's a bad take in my opinion. All right, so Leo's running four verts in Madden. We can confirm yes. that. Grace, good or bad? Yeah, that's not. Okay. I've got to be like brief it. because Leo doesn't think the name of this segment is short take. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At <laughs> live feedback on the air at Rejoice Knights. Starting QB will not be announced till game one. Mr. Trelko, is that a hot take? Agree. Uh, agree. Agree. Okay. All right. Yeah. Leo. Yes. This this is definitely a good take. Yes. All right. It gets hotter here at the JC Morning. Tommy goes in the spring game as QB one. Leo dropped earlier that. He saw the order, at least in, in, the, in the practice, JRP, Tommy, Timmy. Leo, do you agree with this take? Tommy, QB1? I'm going to agree. I'm oh, going to Leo. agree. Whoa. And yes, I'm going to agree. I think that okay. Tommy has been impressing in shock very much. Okay. Very much so. Trace, I assume by your facial reaction, you disagree. But, there could be a wrinkle know, here, though. We know could we're, we're going to see multiple quarterbacks again. It could be wrinkled, though. If JRP can't play... Maybe Tommy is the first QB in that game. Maybe it's a wrinkle. I don't really know. Uh, my new favorite name, Out of Pocket Nick. JRP winning the Heisman. Leo's already shaking his head no. Trey shaking his head no. Okay. Wildest take of the night. Wildest take of the night. All right. Sorry about that, Out of Pocket Nick. And then last but not least, our friend in years, Brian W. Peterson. Wrote a novel. Again, wrote, uh, wrote a novel. Hey, by the way, Adam, if you yes. DM Brian... It may end up on Twitter. <laughs> I heard of it. I read all those. <laughs> at, the end of, at the end of spring ball, the starting O-line, wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends should all be allowed to vote for and choose the QB1 to lead the offense, regardless of who the coaches want. Uh, Brian David Peterson wants to put it to a vote. Trace, I assume that noise can only mean... No. Okay. Do, do, do. All right. Okay. I'll give you another one for that. Although I like your version of the better. Leo, are we taking a vote for QB1? You'll, you'll be surprised. I'm going to say yes and no for this. Oh, I, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you consider, what. I'm, I'm not, been sitting I'm, a lot on this show. A lot of yeah, I'm not trying to be. Yeah. I'm not trying to copy Mike with this one. Just, I think there's no copy in Mike. Yeah, it's oh, a, no. a unique act. Yeah. No, I know he would. Yeah, he does some crazy stuff. But <laughs> the, regardless who the coaches want is awful. I think that coaches should take into consideration what their running backs and what their uh, wide receivers want. I think it's a, it's a good concept. Okay. So that was a, yes, it was a, no, it was a maybe trace that ends this week's hot takes. <laughs> uh, Leo, what must be broken in order to be used? Is that the line? <laughs> is that, was that? I think that was one. I think that was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I love Mike. Try to stop <laughs> Alex Ward. You got to cut up a sounder of that. There's got to be something in there. I, I, yeah. Leo, so you've been busy. Anything going this weekend? Maybe you'll uh, talk to Coach Malzahn on Saturday. Yes, I will be there at 11 a.m. Or actually, it's going to be at noon. At noon, so I'll be baseball there. this weekend. Making any? Uh, I watch. I watch from uh, ESPN Plus, um, but I won't be able to make it to the uh, to, to the game. So. Whoa! 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 Don't you have to note. be at everything here on the Suns post show, post that, show meeting, post show part meeting. of the contract. <laughs> post show meeting. Right, we're good. Now, kudos to you, Lee, uh, uh, Leo. You've been at uh, everything you could be uh, this week, and be sure to uh, check out the uh, interview you did with Shaquem Griffin. How was that experience? Oh, like I tweeted out, the best experience I've had since I've joined Suns at UCF. I used to be having lunch with me once, but that's <laughs> falling by the wayside. Out. Something like that, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Shaquem is is an amazing human. 
that's the first thing you notice uh, when you meet him. He's a uh, he's a one of a kind. Obviously, his football talent is was great, and despite his disability, which I don't consider disability, you know, um, he's inspiring people with that, and uh, and I want to see him do great in whatever his uh, next endeavor is. So. Um, Again, Leo's been doing a great job. If you have not seen his Shaquem Griffin interview, it's on our YouTube channel. And here's, I just looked this up, Leo. You only have 562 Twitter followers. That is not enough. You can get us to 1,000. I need Leo to 600 followers by the end of the night. So go to Twitter, at Leo Sportive. Follow Leo on Twitter. He's got clips of Michael, football, get a basketball, tattoo baseball. Of Leo on his, Maybe, uh, well, that's, now we're gonna, we're crossing a line. I think. Oh, yeah, that's. Yeah, we're, yeah, now the show got weird. The after 9 o'clock show gets weird. I don't know if that's where we want to be with this one. But follow Leo on Twitter, at Leo Sportif. Some of the best content around. He's everywhere. He's everything. And a great interview. And I want to take, take the time to, you know, thank thank you guys, obviously. And, and, and the people have been following me and retweeting my stuff and showing love. Uh, that doesn't go unnoticed. So thank you all. I want to thank Jason Beattie, the Orlando Sentinel, for being here to talk UCF Knights sports with us, as well as Stephen Branca to talk UCF baseball. Leo for pinch hitting for UCF. Mike Eric Lopez for giving us a little softball. Another follow, Emptiness. Uh, he's been commenting during the show. Great for the uh, the baseball updates all weekend long. Michael, we thank you. And uh, Adam, I thank you for pulling it all together on a short week for you back home after a business trip. So uh, everybody have a great weekend. Go Knights. John. What's up, everybody? It's Shaquem Griffin here, and thank you for watching the Sons of UCF. Good work, Leo. That's good. Sports Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.